Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we hear from Al Ahly's South African coach Pizzo Massimani, who's thanked the club for believing in him rather than a European coach, as he won back-to-back Champions League titles with the Egyptian club, saying that Africa has the resources in terms of coaches and that they can do what foreign coaches can do. We sometimes give the Europeans. I'm not saying we give them too much respect. We forget who we are. That's coming up shortly, and also we look at the chances of the African teams in the football competitions at the Tokyo Olympics. And as CAF has given its support to FIFA's proposal to hold the World Cup every two years, we analyse whether this is a good idea, given that the Africa Cup of Nations is staged every two years. Plus, a look at the trials of five potential new rules that FIFA is carrying out, including two halves of 30 minutes each, with the clock being stopped when the ball goes out of play, and unlimited substitutions. Uh, so, well, lots to talk about on the show this week. And uh, first, Al Ahly of Egypt won a tenth CAF Champions League title, beating Kaiser Chiefs of South Africa 3-0 in Casablanca in Morocco last weekend. So, Al Ahly have now won eight titles in the past 20 years. It's huge dominance, and their South African coach Pizzo Massimani has won back-to-back titles with Al Ahly, and he's won three of the past six editions of the Champions League, having taken it with Mamelodi Sundowns in 2016. Now, Mosimani went to Al Ahly last year as a rare appointment for a black African coach at a top North African club, and as well as winning both editions of the Champions League that he's been in charge of at Al Ahly, he also took third place with them at the FIFA Club World Cup last year. Now, speaking to the media after the Champions League final, Mosimani thanked the club for believing in him rather than a European coach. I want to dedicate the trophy to. Captain Dibo, because、uh, Mr. Khatib gave trust for me. He believed in me that、uh, I could change the fortunes because Ali, Ali didn't win the Champions League for the last 18 years,、mm-hmm. and、uh, he could have gone to Europe and bring all these Europeans that are always coming to to Africa to coach.、Uh, but Africans, we can win it ourselves. Why? Why we don't believe that Af-、uh, Africans can win it? The Africa Cup of Nations was won by Algeria. And the coach is Algerian.、Yes. The cup final was Senegalese Alouis Cisse. So we we sometimes give the Europeans. I'm not saying we give them too much respect. We forget who we are. Why is Sadio Mane and、uh, Mohamed Salah are conquering、uh, the Champions League? We we just look for anybody from Europe and we give him the team. But we we have the resources. Africa has the resources. I mean, the coach who was opposite of me is from Europe, England. The coach was against Zamalek was from Portugal. The coach was Mourinho. <laughs> Those things don't matter in a match, you know.、Yeah. So, so Africa should trust its own people. Definitely, if we stick to our own nature, if we stick to our own principles and listen to our instincts, we could definitely win. Yeah, there's there's much there's much we can do. Even the awards of the FIFA、mm-hmm. Player of the Year. The Ballon d'Or and Coach、yeah. of the Year. We don't feature.、Count. It's only the Europeans who feature. I mean, we have won trophies. I've won about nine,、Count. but nobody cares. I mean, I'm not the coach of Liverpool, but、uh, the history stays. 
So Al-Athli coach Pizzo Massimani there thanking the club for believing in him rather than a European coach, saying that he was up against an English coach in the final with Kaiser Chiefs having Stuart Baxter and also mentioning that Al-Athli's Cairo rivals Zamalek have a Portuguese coach and Pizzo saying that Africa does have the resources in terms of coaches he believes. Uh, well, Ida Massimani has said this before, uh, but his achievements are strengthening his argument. Absolutely, Steve. It's a strong sentiment and one that I support every time Mosemane says it. Now, when he won the CAF Champions League title with Al Ali last year, you know, many chalked it down to fluke, saying that he'd found the team already close to the end. And, you know, that more or less what he did was close out what was a done deal. But this... This really cements it for me, Steve. And the South African raising some, you know, really interesting points, you know, saying that he's yet to receive any sort of global nomination, recognition, you know, despite him winning the CAF Coach of the Year twice, the PSL Coach of the Season five times, and, you know, tons of trophies, including three Champions League titles. Now, only Portuguese and former Al Ali boss Manuel Jose has won more. Four, I believe. And, you know, sure, there are those who might argue that the quality of football in Africa is miles behind other continents, you know, say um, Europe or South America. But Mosemen is saying that, look, Africans need to trust their own, as Al-Ali President Mahmoud did with him. And this, I believe, should also fall in line with even our awarding and rewarding structures. I mean, sure, there are those who might say that this is idealistic, but why wait for UEFA or FIFA to validate Africa? Why not develop structures where we do that on our own? Why not, you know, say, build a CAF Awards, for example, to a level where even the rest of the world looks on and is impressed? We have everything we need right here in the continent, Steve. If just harnessed well, with the right kind of self-belief, and most importantly, with the right sort of people in power. Now, of course, all this is easier said than done. But, you know, with pioneers like Pizzo, then we might just be on the right path. My point is this, Steve. If you don't get invited to a seat at the table, then you build your own. Sure. Great work that Apizzo Massimani is doing. Uh, now to the Olympics as action at the delayed 2020 Tokyo Olympics got underway on Wednesday with the start of the women's football tournament. Zambia losing 10-3 to the Netherlands, uh, but Shipolo Polo's China-based striker Barbara Banda got a hat-trick. And the men's football started on Thursday, Egypt drawing 0-0 with Spain, Ivory Coast beating Saudi Arabia 2-1 and Japan beating South Africa. Now Nigeria Nigeria won the men's football gold in 1996, causing great celebrations all across the continent, and Cameroon won it in 2000. So Africa has had success in this competition. What are your hopes this time, Ida? Well, it was mixed emotions for me, and especially at the start of the football tournament, Steve, I must admit, because that 10-3 thrashing of Zambia by the Netherlands, well, that was quite brutal. And for a minute there, it did look like USA's world record or 13-0. Remember that against uh, Thailand? That was back at the 2019 Women's World Cup. Well, it did look for a minute there like it was in jeopardy. 
And sure enough, the 10-3 actually ended up being an Olympic record, uh, that falling uh, to the Dutch. But there were positives to pick, Steve, and quite a few of them, if you ask me. Uh, first off, this is the biggest stage that the Copper Queens have ever played on. So they were bound to get overwhelmed in one way or another. I mean, we're talking first time on a global stage for the African girls versus a team whose players almost all ply their trade at the very top of women's football. So I'm hoping that Zambia will build on this experience. Steve, secondly, the girls never gave up. And that is a huge, huge testament. And one would say it was rewarded, you know, with those two goals at the very end. Now, that actually speaks loads about their character. If you ask me, at least, more than anything else that the opponents did, to be honest. That also meant that Barbara Banda became the first female African player to score three goals, a hat-trick, at an Olympic Games. And I'm sure that now clubs will be curious about her at the very least. You know, these games, Steve, might actually signal a move for her from her current Chinese club. So let's see how it goes for the Copper Queens. They face China, who were beaten 5-0 by Brazil, next and uh, looking at the men's tournament, well, it's capped at age 24 for the players with a maximum of three senior players above that. Now, South Africa faltering there against Japan, but Ivory Coast putting themselves uh, actually in a good position in the group. Uh, that's right behind Brazil on goal difference. Now, the Ivorians beat Saudi Arabia in their first Olympic appearance, Steve, since 2008 Beijing. And looking at Egypt, well, their draw with Spain means that they're also still in a good sport. Uh, don't forget that Egypt's Group C, Steve, is a so-called group of death with uh, both Argentina and Spain in it. So I'm thinking right now it's looking very positive for the young pharaohs. Yes, we'll see how the African teams get on there in Tokyo. And uh, Planet Sport Football Africa's Stuart Weir will be at the Olympics. And uh, it's a really different Olympics, isn't it, Stuart, in the COVID-19 era? Um, yes, this weekend I'm off to Tokyo. It'll be my fourth Olympics, but as you say, an Olympics like none other. I suppose we need to give a lot of credit to the Japanese for finding a way to make the Olympics happen. But it's come at a price. No spectators. First of all, it was no foreign spectators, but now not even Japanese spectators. As a working journalist, I will be under severe restrictions. I have to put in a plan for approval by the Tokyo authorities listing every place I want to go to. I can only travel on official transport, not on public trains or buses. I can only eat in an Olympic restaurant, not in a public restaurant or bar. Normally, my accreditation would get me into any sports event, but this year, everything is ticketed and the number of journalists at any event severely restricted. That, of course, is all on the assumption that I get to Tokyo. I've had my three COVID tests this week. I've had to download various COVID apps on my phone, and on arrival, I will spend 72 hours like a prisoner in my hotel room, apparently being allowed out for 15 minutes every day if I'm good. Certainly an Olympic like none other, but at least I'm hoping to go and I'm excited about that. 
Well,、uh, all the best, Stuart, and we look forward, hopefully, to speaking to you in Tokyo on the show next week.、Uh, stay with us, Stuart. And、uh, now, in other big football news, the Executive Committee of the Confederation of African Football has given its support to FIFA's proposal to hold the World Cup every two years instead of every four years. Now, this, despite the fact that the Africa Cup of Nations is held every two years, the proposal also included having the Women's World Cup every two years. We'll have to see how it all would work out, but it seems as though the calendar would be too congested to have the Africa Cup of Nations every two years, so it might become once every four years. Now, the Nations Cup is a major revenue earner for CAF, and it plays a big part in the development of African football. And、uh, you might say the World Cup every four years gives it that feeling of being something special, which might not be the case if it's every two years. And、uh, is this、uh, just all about FIFA making more money?、Uh, so many issues here, Ida. Even before I get to anything else, Steve, I do have to ask: Do the authorities actually care about the player anymore? Because we've seen a lot of talk about, you know, moving this tournament, expanding this championship, you know, changing up the format of this tournament. But when do the authorities ever talk about players' welfare? And look, there are those who would argue that with all the money they're paid, you know, then it basically justifies it. But we're seeing previously healthy players, Steve, falling unconscious mid-match, you know, and this might be due to an incredibly packed schedule, and especially after the COVID break. I mean, when will it be enough? Is my question. Well, the move is one backed by FIFA Chief of Global Football Development,、uh, that being Arsene Wenger, and this was after the Saudi Arabia Football Federation officially proposed this move. So, you know, part of what's been proposed is a month-long international break in October. You know, for countries to condense their entire qualifying campaign, that is, you know, in the bigger picture. But Steve, it's not surprising really that CAF have agreed to this two-year World Cup cycle. Not surprising at all, but unfortunate nonetheless. You know, because obviously of the effect it will have on player burnout, and of course on our own African football calendar. So, of course, you know this huge move. It's not anything that's happening soon, you know, because there is still a feasibility study that needs to be done by FIFA. But I think it's very interesting times, Steve, that lie ahead. Yeah, thanks, Ida. Asking for your thoughts on social media on this、uh, this week. Is it a good idea to have the World Cup every two years?、Uh, many issues there. Well, I mean, the Africa Cup of Nations will then be every four years instead of once every two years. Is it all about FIFA making money? Would it make the World Cup、uh, feel a little bit、uh, less special if it's held every two years? You can post a comment on our Facebook page. That's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five. Two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on a FIFA's trials of five potential new rules in football, including two thirty-minute halves. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and our website is PlanetSport.tv. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime, and access past programs in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store, and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. 
Right to social media now. Last week we asked her what would be a better alternative to penalty shootouts. With England losing the Euro 2020 final to Italy on penalties, there was heartache for the fans and for the players. And no doubt, a penalty shootout is a tough way to decide a final,、uh, but it is seen by many as the fairest option. We asked, are there any alternatives that you feel are better? Uh, there used to be a replay of the match, but that's difficult logistically.、Uh, maybe playing on until someone scores, even maybe using match statistics to decide the winner, like the team that had the most goal attempts or corners or shots on target, or maybe even just tossing a coin to decide the winner. That has happened in the past.、Uh, with the comments, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Uh, thanks, Steve. And we start today on Facebook. And、uh, Nasolo Mary says the penalty shootout is still the best alternative because it gives both sides equal chances, and the winner is decided by the commitment of the player who is to take the penalty. Uh, to WhatsApp now, and、uh, Emma in、uh, the Gambia says,、uh, "For me, the penalty shootout is the best way to decide a football match. It is better than a replay or tossing a coin. The penalty kick is part of the game already during 90 minutes of football action, so I'm in favour of keeping the shootout." We always welcome your voice notes on Planet Sport of Football Africa, and Eddie in Uganda also supports the use of penalties to decide a final result. I think no, the best alternative is the penalty shootout because how about when you play、uh, almost for two hours when no one is getting the goal? I think the penalty shootout is the best because it gives every team a chance to win. And here's another voice note this time from James Wallace Jr. in Malawi. To me, penalty still stands as a better way because you know in penalties there are a lot of things that we test. This is the time for the teams to test the goalkeepers. The best goalkeeper who saves penalties saves his team as well. There was a golden goal in the past; it was then abolished. So I still see penalty shootouts as the best. And、uh, Brima Fati in the Gambia loves the spectacle of the shootout. Nothing should be an alternative to the penalty shootout to decide games,、uh, which end with the scores level. Says Brima, it should be the only way. We love to watch it. Shootouts are not for the faint-hearted. Martha in Uganda agrees that penalties should decide the result, but thinks there should be an alternative system. I really think there should be some other form of penalties to settle finals, says Martha. I reckon we should have all eleven players take penalties, including the goalkeepers, and then the team which has scored the most number of shots at the end takes the title. If the scores are still level at the end, which I regard as extremely unlikely, that's when the result. Can be decided by sudden death. But Philip in the Gambia doesn't agree that penalties are the best way of deciding the final result. Well, from my own perspective, says Philip, I don't think penalties are the fair way to decide a game. Instead, if a draw occurs in a final, they should give the title to the team with the highest number of goal chances, such as shots on target during the game. And Emmanuel E. Shamaki in Nigeria sent a voice note suggesting another alternative. Well, I think for me it would be more better if it's been played till someone scores. Football is a game that you enjoy when there is no goals. Decisions should be made when goal is being scored. 
Uh, so Emmanuel proposing that the uh, golden goals rule should be restored uh, where the game continues until one team scores. And uh, Monique Godi in uh, Uganda agrees with Emmanuel. In finals, there must be a winner, says Monique. I don't think penalties is the fairest way because a penalty relies on luck. So my suggestion is for the two teams to play until the first team scores and that team wins the title. I mean, Mark Nuo, a Liberian who is now living in the Gambia, sent a voice note reminding us that although Italy won the recent Euro 2020 on penalties, 26 years ago the Italian team lost the 1994 World Cup also on penalties to Brazil. In USA 94, when Roberto Baggio missed a penalty, another country won the World Cup and Italy were in tears. It's football, it's part of football, and you cannot rule it out of football. And ask the question, should both teams be playing until somebody score? It can be possible, because football players, they cannot even go for 90 minutes. They are tired, not to talk about extra time. So the penetration are very important. So Mark there saying that uh, the penalties are a better option than the golden goal rule. And uh, Bolong Baji in the Gambia agrees, uh, penalties to me are ideal to decide the result after full time and extra time, says Bolong. Uh, they are much better than uh, relying on statistics or playing on until one team scores, And because although this may entertain the fans, it could exhaust the players and make the game look boring. And ending up our roundup of listener comments this week, here's a voice note from Lamine Fadera in the Gambia. Well, in my own opinion, I think penalties is the idle way. Penalty, we all know, is a virtue of luck. The team that took its chances will eventually become the winner. But the other alternatives that are on the table, they are not idle. For example, statistics, looking at the team that has the better statistical record, you know, the number of fouls or whatsoever, yellow cards, I think that wouldn't be a fair alternative. And also, it's always going to be difficult to replay a football match and even the time factor. My own opinion is that penalties is the best way out. So uh, there you have it, uh, Steve. Our correspondents this week have uh, considered the alternative, uh, but on the balance, most agree that penalties offer not only the fairest way of engineering a result, but also add the greatest spectacle and excitement for the fans. Well, thanks, Ephraim. Very interesting. That's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu, and thanks for all of those comments. Let's go back to Stuart Weir in the UK now, and uh, FIFA is carrying out trials of five potential new rules at a youth tournament in Europe. Uh, These include two halves of 30 minutes, with the clock being stopped when the ball goes out of play, and unlimited substitutions. Uh, Tell us more, Stuart, and is tinkering with the rules a good thing for football? Yes, it's called the Future of Football Cup, a youth tournament at under-19 level. And as you say, two 30-minute halves with a clock stopped, kick-ins instead of throw-ins, unlimited substitutions, and yellow cards resulting in sin bins. Now, I was having a look on the website called Fan Banter, and the reactions there were universally negative. Here are some of them. They just want to kill the beautiful game. FIFA is trying to ruin football. Compared to this, the Super League didn't seem so bad. What if a goalkeeper gets a yellow card in Sinbin? Must the team play without a goalkeeper? 
Stop Americanizing football. FIFA has lost the plot. Don't fix what isn't broken. Why change the most popular sport worldwide? None of these changes is required. Now, very strong views there, but my views for what it's worth is I'm not at all convinced by the stopping of the clock. You finish up like American football with a game lasting 60 minutes, which takes three hours to play. I think our system of adding on a few minutes to the 45 works well. Kick-ins instead of throw-ins is an interesting one. The game, after all, is called football, so kick-ins seem to make a lot more sense than throw-ins. But the problem when they've looked at this in the past is that a player can kick a ball much further than he can throw it. So you'd finish up with a kick, perhaps by your own penalty area, and a player kicking it 80 metres so that it's uh, dropping in the opposition penalty area. That may be a good thing, or it may not. It may encourage more long ball. Attacking throw-ins would effectively be a corner. But I would be really interested to see how this trial goes. Now, for me, football has traditionally been a game of 11 players against 11, allowing up to three substitutions for injury or a technical change seems good, but allowing a team to replace the entire team to take players off and bring them back on again seems to me to risk changing the game we love so much, making it like basketball or American football. I mean, it does seem, as someone said, a bit of an Americanization. Now, with regard to sin bins, I have long been an advocate of this. Um, Steve, I don't know whether you were watching the Euro final when in the second half, England's Bukaya Saku took the ball away from the Italian defender Chiellini and Chiellini grabbed his shirt and pulled him to the ground, stopping an England attack. Chiellini got a yellow card, but halfway through the second half, it was a fairly meaningless yellow card, didn't do him any harm. But had he been sin for 15 minutes, that would have given England a real advantage. And what is more, I doubt very much of Chiellini would have thought it was worth a 15-minute ban to commit the foul. So I'm really quite in favour of this. I'd love to see it introduced universally. Yeah, so a fairer punishment then, maybe. And uh, Stuart, just three weeks now to the start of the new English Premier League season. Indeed, Steve. But to be honest, I'm not quite sure I'm ready for the season to restart. I mean, we're getting close to a situation where we have football continuously for 12 months. Remember how the 2019-20 season was delayed and then there was only a very short gap before the start of the 2020-2021 season and that went straight into the Euros. So international players must think that they've been playing continuously for about 18 months. I know they're young and fit, but the mental effort and the mental disappointment that the England players must be feeling may take them some time to recover from. I will be interested to see if some of the England players, for example, don't actually start on the first day of the season. It's just two weeks until the traditional curtain raise of the charity shield, with Manchester City, the league champions, playing FA Cup winners Leicester City. I would certainly expect Manchester City to make use of their large squad and rest some key players for that game. But the other complicating factor is that the transfer window will still be open when the season starts, and the Euros have certainly delayed some of the big transfers we've been expecting. So there's an awful lot to happen before we know who will be lining up for which team when the Premier League season starts. Jadon Sancho 
has justified joint Manchester United from Dortmund for a fee we understand to be around $100 million, but no news yet of Harry Kane, who is expected to leave Tottenham. Steve, Brentford are back in the top division after 47 years. They've been very active in the transfer window with five new players joining and nine leaving. And Steve, you may be interested to know that the Premier League has been running since 1991 and Brentford are the 50th different club to play in the Premier League. One other thing that I've noticed is that there are more English players in the Premier League at the moment than at any time in the last 20 years. In 2016, there were less than 30%, but last season, the number had grown to 38%. Now, we've sometimes moaned about the lack of English managers in the Premier League. Well, Wayne Rooney made some interesting comments about the benefit to English football of having top foreign coaches. He gave two examples, saying that he thought that Harry Kane had developed technically as a player under Mauricio Pochettino and Jose Mourinho. And he added that Raheem Sterling's goal scoring and assists have improved greatly while he's been playing under Pep Guardiola. Um, Steve, I wonder if you noticed that the England goalkeeper Jordan Pickford always seemed to have his water bottle with him during the penalty shootouts. So is saving penalties really thirsty work? No. We can reveal that he writes the names of potential penalty takers and where they're likely to put the ball on his water bottle. Uh, very clever. Uh, thanks, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. Well, from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.